Q&A Holes podcast presents The Sea Report for Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. Good evening and welcome to another edition of The Sea Report here at QAholespodcast.com. I am your host, Mr. C, and it is good to be with you all tonight. Now, before we get into tonight's, into tonight's news here at the Sea Report, um, I would just like to start by issuing a formal apology uh, to the trans community for some remarks I may have made last night in a, a bit of a heated moment when delivering the story about Dr. Rachel Levin, who is Biden's current HHS secretary, uh, assistant nominee, um, regarding two stories that this uh, transgendered individual has been involved in. Uh, One one story, as reported here at the Sea Report, involved uh, Dr. Levin as being questioned by Senator Rand Paul, who at the time had asked her if she could say whether or not she objected to giving hormones and sexual reassignment operations to minors who had no guardians or parents, but were perhaps curious about their sexual orientation, to which Dr. Levin could not respond to the question. And secondly, as reported on the Sea Report, um... It has come to uh, the discovery of all that uh, the governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Tom Wolf, acted on the recommendations of Dr. Levin, who works in the uh, Wolf administration government, uh, to allow COVID positive patients or those who may not have been fully rehabilitated or may have been given a stamp of approval to return to rehabilitation centers and nursing homes, thereby increasing the amount of uh, death needless in Pennsylvania nursing homes and rehabilitation centers at the admonition, the, the recommendation of this Dr. Levin, whom, I might add, removed her mother from these facilities I guess because she was afraid that her mom might catch COVID and die. Well, there you go. And I just wanted to say that uh, the remarks I made yesterday, in no way do I feel that Dr. Levin represents the trans community. I have trans friends uh, who are trans individuals, whether pre or post. Um, So anyways, I just wanted to say that at the start of this episode. Uh, but I still do feel that this, uh, Dr. Levin is, um, an abominable, abomin- an abominable person, regardless of her stature, physically speaking, she's still a potato head and will always be in my book. All right. <laughs> now that that's out of the way. Oh, goodness. I don't think that's quite what I was looking for there. Let's see here. Nope, nope, nope. This is not happening. This is not happening. Here we go. 
All right, we got the state of Texas. The eyes of Texas are upon you. Before we get started, we, we have a second prelude before we get started with today's episode. Happy birthday, Texas. No, just kidding. A happy Independence Day to the great state of Texas, my home state. Uh, today, March 2nd, uh, is the uh, Independence Day of Texas, where we broke free from the chains of Mexico. No, I mean, I think, honestly, um, they just weren't doing nothing for us. And uh, we were sitting up here in North Mexico and like, hey, we've been here. Anyways... So, uh, yeah, so, well, here's a little bit about Texas history. The Spanish claimed Texas in the 1500s and took up continuous residence in the 1700s, and yet, over the centuries, could not settle the land effectively beyond its San Antonio de Bear stronghold. By 1820, Spain allowed Anglo-American settlers to colonize the land. That would be uh, Stephen F. Austin, if any of you recognize that name. When Mexico won its independence from Spain a year later, it allowed the colonization to continue. However, political struggles within Mexico meant, for the most part, that the colonists were left unsupervised. In the late 1820s, Mexico looked north and realized that Texas was filling quickly with armed white men who did not intend to speak Spanish, convert to Catholicism, or submit to Mexican customs or taxation. Mexico sent its troops north and made a push to bring Texas back under control, but it was too late. The Texas Revolution began in Gonzales in 1835 and ended in San Jacinto in 1836. <clears throat> Although, if you're from Texas in Austin Central, that would be San Jacinto. That's just a tip for if uh, you ever visit Austin, Texas. Uh, say San Jacinto, and they'll think you're a they'll think you're a uh, they'll think you're um, a local. Anyway, so between 1836 and 1845, Texas was actually its own country. For nine glorious years, the Republic of Texas reigned to the north of Mexico and to the south of the United States of America. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I guess we weren't able to maintain it. It says here in this article from, uh, this is actually published in the, uh, Austin, uh, American Statesman. It says that, um, uh, the Mexi Mexicans were aggressive along the Southern border and the Comanche Indians were aggressive nearly everywhere else. Now, my family Indian tribe does not come from the Comanche. We're actually from De Bear. Anyways, but another key motivator for... Oh, we were like Coelwillian something or others. Anyways, Coelwillian no tech something. But another key motivator for the Texians when it came to joining the United States was money. The Republic of Texas was in deep debt. So that's kind of interesting. But to note, but yes, yeah, so um, by January 2nd, uh, January 2nd, March 2nd, we were declared independent and that was that. And uh, the rest is hit, is herstory, history, as they say. Sorry, I don't want to go, go crossing genres here on you guys. All right, let's get to some news. Okay, so we're going to take a step back here, first of all, with the C report. Now, um, I missed the date on this one. I think this HR1, which was brought to the attention of myself and probably a whole bunch of other people 
uh, by President Trump during CPAC uh, is something that we missed in reporting here on the C report. Now, this might have actually passed or in the House or been an issue um, with uh, the media probably um, before we started the C report, probably by days, I wouldn't doubt it because we've been on air for what, about two to three weeks now. Um, I think almost a week here on Twitch, but anyways, that's the matter. So what, what the deal is with HR one, well, we wanted to go ahead and talk about this because this is this, this piece of legislation, which apparently has seen other forms, um, in the past come through the house and come through the Senate, um, is, is up for, uh, vote again, I think in the, in the Senate, it's already passed the house. Um, in fact, I believe I read an article that said that there are Republicans who agree with this. Now, if I'm getting the gist of HR1, and if y'all were paying attention to what President Donald Trump said at CPAC, um, this essentially would legalize all of the fraud that they committed during the 2020 presidential election, the coup that took place, all of the uh, mechanics of it, um, everything that made it move, the organization of it, the legislation of it, the um, the changing the the changing the rules of voting by legislators and city officials under emergency control, everything, everything that happened that was illegal. <laughs> Um, that that assisted with this coup, including melon voting, including days that you can take to vote. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, to count the vote, um, um, everything like that was uh, will be legalized in this bill. At least that's what it sounds like now. We do have the text of the bill here. Now, the text of the bill is quite it's the, it is quite a doozy. You'll see here, it's quite a doozy. This is just the beginning of it. And this is just so much legalese. Um, there are some key sections here that uh, we can highlight, but I have an article here from heritage.com that talks about what is in some of this bill. So I was going to kind of go through that. Uh, it's called HR1 for the People Act. Like I said, it would essentially legalize all of the fraud that took place during the election. So I guess that they could retroactively, um, I guess, uh, absolve themselves from committing treason and crime uh, by passing this bill. And, and, and like I said, I read an article that said most Republicans were indeed for this bill. Um, we're going to, we're going to do a counter, uh, counter uh, viewpoint article on this bill in a little bit, but um, let's read some about this HR1, because I think it's important that people know what it is about. So, uh, according to heritage.org, HR1 would federalize and micromanage the election process administered by the states, imposing unnecessary, unwise, and unconstitutional mandates on the states and reversing the decentralization of the American election process, which is essential to the protection of our liberty and freedom. It would implement nationwide the worst changes in election rules that occurred during the 2020 election and go even further in eroding and eliminating basic security protocols that states have in place. The bill would interfere with the ability of states and their organizations to determine the qualifications and eligibility of voters 
to ensure the accuracy of voter registration rolls, to ensure the fairness and integrity of elections, to participate and speak freely in political process, and to determine the district boundary lines for electing their representatives. So, like I said, HR1, it's really a doozy. Um, it is a doozy. Uh, let's see here. We'll highlight this like a part up here, but, um, okay. So let's go ahead and see how, like, look at this, like, look at this, look at this, look at this, this, all of this. And you know what? And these links don't work. I'm on congress.gov here. And these links, they are just like, either they're shoddy or maybe everyone's can get them. Look at, there's even more. I don't remember how many pages long they said this bill was. I think it's under a thousand, but over five hundred, or maybe it's just under. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Listen to this page; those are always funny to me. Anyways, um, okay, so it is HR one a bill. Okay, let's take a look. What would HR one do? It would seize the authority of states to regulate voter registration and the voting process by forcing states to implement early voting, automatic voter registration, same-day registration, online voter registration, and no-fault absentee balloting. Like, think about that. Same-day voter registration, automatic voter registration, like... I've heard that break down to walking up to the precinct the same day as election day and registering and voting that same day. And depending on where you are, you may not even have to show any type of ID. So we know they're trying to pass ID laws, they're, but this is saying, no, it's okay, just show up that same day, vote. And register, even if you're not registered. So, like, say, say there's, say, like, they don't even belong to that county. They could just show up and vote, and then they can do it in other places if they want to. Make it easier to commit fraud and promote chaos at the polls through same-day registration, as election officials would have no time to verify the accuracy of voter registration information and the eligibility of an individual to vote, and could not anticipate the number of ballots and precinct workers that would be needed at specific voting locations. It would hurt voter turnout through 15 days of mandated early voting by diffusing the intensity of get-out-the-vote efforts. It would raise the cost of campaigns. Voters who early vote don't have the same information as those who vote on Election Day, missing late-breaking developments that could affect their choices. Degrade the accuracy of registration lists by requiring states to automatically register all individuals as opposed to citizens, from state and federal databases, such as state departments of motor vehicles, corrections, and welfare offices and federal agencies, such as the Social Security Administration, the Department of Labor, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and the Center of Medicare and Medicaid Services of the Department of Health and Human Services. This would register large numbers of ineligible voters, including aliens, and cause multiple or duplicate registrations of the same individuals and put federal agencies agencies in charge of determining a person's domicile for voting purposes, as well as the individual's taxing state. That's insane. So they want to basically super merge a list 
of uh of voters and add everyone in their federal like agency roles into voter roles like automatically like instead of them registering themselves like because they're actually interested in participating in their government's uh political process and and you know constitutional process well I mean, and, and, and how easy is it for them to then rig a vote like that, especially if there's going to be duplicates? Like, what if you have um, a registration for, like, several agencies? Will they, uh, will they uh, merge all of your accounts when they're, you know, making your, elector your electoral vote count or whatever? I say electoral vote count, but you know what I mean. Um, your, your voting, your election day voting account. <laughs> So, I mean, and they may not. Maybe they'll use your three other accounts from your three other, four other agencies, you know, to, to spike the vote. You know, like, I mean, that's what it sounds like. All right. It says it'll also constitute a res recipe for massive voter registration fraud by hackers and cyber criminals through online voter registration that is not tied to an existing state record, such as a driver's license. It would make a criminal offense for a state official to reject a voter registration application even when it is rejected under color of law because the official believes the individual is an ineligible to ineligible to vote it would also require states to allow 16 year olds and 17 year olds to register when combined with a ban on voter id and restriction on the ability to challenge the eligibility of a voter this would effectively ensure that underage individuals could not vote with impunity um i think there what they're talking about with the 16 and 17 year olds to register is because i had read this uh, other thing when i was like doing some search on this uh, article and on this bill uh, in regards to underage voting, because it's basically it's saying like if someone shows up and they want to vote and they don't have an ID, you can't turn them away if they're under 18. But if they look like they're older than 15 or 16, then they have to be allowed to register to vote like and they have to be allowed to do even if they don't have an ID. Like, um, so that means if they have automatic, you know, registration and, and same day registration, this, uh, this, this 15 year old who certainly doesn't look younger than 15, but doesn't look older than, you know, may, may be 18. It's plausible, you know, but they certainly don't look younger than 15, you know, by reasonable doubt, because I used to teach, uh, I used to teach a, uh, alcohol, um, you know, sales course. And, and so that also went, I would also talk about, you know, uh, plausible deniability in front of the court in case you you had sold to a minor. You know, what could you say? What could you do? Well, you know, like if they gave you their ID and you checked it, then there's your defense because you did your due diligence. Um, um, but you could also do it based on like, you know, how they looked. So we talked about, you know, the appearance of a minor versus the appearance of an adult. So I guess under all of these new, uh, like, I mean, just get voter ID for crying out loud, just get voter ID and you won't have to worry about this. But anyways, 
So 16 and 70 year olds, 16 and 17 year olds are most able to vote in some states. Uh, require states to count ballots cast by voters outside of their assigned precincts, overriding the precinct system used by all states that allows election officials to monitor votes, staff polling places, provide enough ballots, and prevent election fraud. So, okay, so, you know, whenever it's time to vote, you have certain places that you can go vote. You wouldn't show up in some place in Dallas or, you know, if you're voting in Austin or, you know, you wouldn't show up like in Houston or San Antonio or anywhere to go. You would vote in your precinct. That's that's what you have to do. If you're going to be out of town, you have to, you know, you have to go ahead and uh, make arrangements for that via absentee ballot uh, request not mail in there is a difference but that essentially is with the mail it's by request just like you register to vote you don't automatically automatically get registered when you're born you know um you should also also have to request or register for an absentee ballot you don't get one just because you're born or just because your feet are standing on these here united states soil all right um HR1 would also mandate no fault absentee ballots which are the tool of choice for vote thieves it would ban witness signatures or notarization requirements for absentee ballots for states to accept absentee ballots received up to 10 days after the election as long as they are postmarked by election day and require the states to allow vote trafficking vote harvesting so that any third parties, including campaign staffers and political consultants, can pick up and deliver absentee ballots. Like, this is just a total... This is just a total recipe for fraud. And yet, this is already passed the House. This is, this is called the For the People Act. It's going to legalize everything that they did in the 2020 coup. I mean, maybe, maybe they have to pass this. I mean, maybe the Trump administration and the military are giving the Senate a chance now. Because, I mean, if there are some, some Republicans already on board with this, and it's more than just the seven that voted to impeach Trump. I think it's like 17, maybe. You know, like, there's no telling. It's totally up in the air, especially since the Senate is no longer Republican-held. You know, so... Um... We'll see. We'll see. But, you know, I haven't heard anyone talking about this, and I'm glad that President Trump brought it to our attention. Um, because, at least, like I said, to at least my attention, I see they're up to HR5. We talked about that here on the C Report. I didn't think to go back and check the other HRs, but this one... <laughs> This one, oh man, that's a, this one is a doozy. It's a doozy, but it is the recipe for how they stole the election. So I guess, you know, I mean, if they need this here evidence, you know, like not only did they perform a coup of the United States and the government and the um, duly and rightfully elected president, President Donald Trump, they also gave us their battle plan, their recipe, their blueprint in HR1. Here, look. Okay, guys, I hope you guys are reading it. If I can figure it out, I know you guys figured it out. Okay. 
It says it would prevent election officials from checking the eligibility and qualifications of voters and removing ineligible voters. This includes restrictions on using the U.S. Postal Service National Change of Address System to verify the address of registered voters, uh, participating in state programs that compare voter registration lists to detect individuals registered in multiple states, or ever removing registrants due to fit failure uh, to vote no matter how much the time has elapsed. It also would substantially limit the public release to voter registration information, making it almost impossible for nonpartisan organizations to verify the accuracy of registration rolls and prohibit states from using undeliverable election mail as a basis for challenging a registrant's eligibility. Um, And really, this, uh, this article goes on. It does so much it does so much to destroy our country oh my goodness like i cannot believe this um so uh i don't i'm i don't want to make any promises but i might have to do do some breakdown of this in in another time i mean this is i mean yeah this we've got a lot of news tonight and this is this is important this is like special new special report worthy um under the current illegitimate administration well i mean this may i mean we may see this thrown out anyways but but just like i said these fake republicans have already you know basically voted for the for the people act like we they have a lot of support it's been in the house in different ways before it's just never made it through look it says here authorize the internal revenue service to engage in partisan activity HR1 would permit the IRS to investigate and consider the political and the policy positions of nonprofit organizations before granting tax exempt status, thus enabling IRS officials to target organizations engaging in First Amendment activity with disfavored views. And that's just going to legalize what they were already doing. They were already doing this under Obama, like back you know, during his administration where they were attacking uh, 501c3s or nonprofit organizations that were First Amendment or, you know, pro-life or just anything that was anti-left, uh, liberal, Democrat, progressive, communist, socialist. Um, let's see here. Yeah, it's a doozy. It is a doozy. And uh, there was uh, so there was a countermeasure to a counter a counter viewpoint to this. I want to share. I won't I won't be long on it. This is a uh, Jack Holmes from Esquire dot com, and it was just an it was just an example to me of how the left or the Democrats think. So he had this article said Trump's delusional attack. Here, let me let me shrink him. Trump's delusional attacks on HR1 show how important this bill is. So to me, this article is kind of like a telegraph. It says, on Sunday night, a disgruntled Florida man could be found hollering about the elections in which he got 7 million fewer votes than his opponent was somehow stolen from him a little over a month removed from his time in the world's most powerful office. It finally feels the right amount of absurd to listen to what Donald Trump has to say about any issue of national concern 
that what we have ever had to pay attention to, blah, 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 blah. Um, H.R. 1 for the people is set for the vote in the House of the Representatives this week. Ah, excellent. This bill's sponsor, John Sarbanes, told me it's an amalgamation of what his constituents have told him over and over since he got to Congress in 2007. We want to be able to vote for you when you get there. When, when you get there, we want you to keep paying attention to us and don't get tangled up in the money. Title one of this bill is the John Lewis Voter Empowerment Act, which would create automatic voter registration across the country, expand early and absentee voting, restore voting, fight voting rights for felons, streamline the vote by mail process, and more. The bill also takes on partisan gerrymandering, which drives polarization and dysfunction in Congress, granting the power to draw congressional districts to independent commissions rather than the party's leaders who stand to benefit from hyper-partisan maps. The legislation takes on dark money and big money in our elections, introducing more transparency to the question of who, including big corporate entities, is spending millions to get people elected. Now, this is just all, like, BS. Like, this is just BS. <laughs> Look, I mean, oh, it's such a great thing. This is such a good thing, Mr. Holmes. Like, we're going to have what? Uh, <clears throat> people walking up from, like, you know, other states just to turn every city that they want, the certain color that they want. I mean... Regardless of who, I mean, this is just, this bill is basically just going to make a joke and a show. This is like legalizing the production. This is like the SOPs for producing an election on TV that we're going to legalize here just to make sure no matter what happens, it always goes a certain way. So they can always, so that their production will be easy. They have to rig the system from the jump. Like that's what this is. They're rigging the system from the jump. To make the ease of their production in front of TV so the world history believes X, Y, and Z when they're turning America into a third world country. They're going to get us into their, you know, uh, re-education camp so this way we can end up just, you know, uh, crashed like Venezuela. Um, no, thank you, Mr. Holmes. I don't think so. Uh, you're just a sad, sad wannabe Jake Gyllenhaal black hat. You probably get passed around. You're a panty boy just like Joaquin. All right, moving right along. Let's see here. Our next story is a, another Supreme Court story. Let's have at it, why don't we? Um, okay, so we heard as... Well, yesterday's headlines and stories, things that were going around, were in regards to um, Sidney Powell and her cases that she was taking to the Supreme Court that... Uh, well, they were summarily rejected by the Supreme Court with not much else of an explanation than they were being dismissed. And uh, we see that when it comes to this case where, as she said, 5,000 affidavits, all of this evidence, and even, even in the joke, um, even in the joke lawsuits that Dominion and, um, and the, uh, the other uh, Smartmatic are throwing at at uh, Sidney Powell, even with those joke lawsuits, if they were to go into, you know, into court with the discovery, I mean, we would quickly, she says they have, they have the evidence, which is why she's living in this, you know, weird illusion of a world, uh, like this illusion of a world that this Jack Holmes guy is living in over at Esquire. Um, 
where things did not happen the way that they are being told to have happened. I mean, this is the illusion. This is the zeitgeist. This is where you... One million people can literally see whoever was there at the Capitol on January 6th can literally see that that is not... The storyline that they are presenting on the news, the way they proceeded with this impeachment, all of that is not what everyone who is there experienced. And even if we're talking like 50 to 100,000 people at the Capitol steps alone, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a hell of a lot of amount of people to be lost in this, uh, what would the word be? Um, uh, this, this, um, this, this, uh, euphoria, (laughs) No, not euphoria. Uh, this, 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 this uh, uh, reality dyslexia of what we experience there and what we're being told on the news. Like um, Sydney Powell said, she feels like she's in another world. Anyways, before I get myself all caught up, let's see what this article has to say about the Supreme Court. So they're going to go ahead and hear a case from Arizona that could put new limits on voting rights lawsuits, but they refused the Trump campaign election cases from the Gateway Pundit on Monday. Following their inaction last week, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected without comment or explanation lingering 2020 election challenges by Attorney Sidney Powell in Arizona and Wisconsin. However, the Supreme Court did agree to hear a case about Arizona restrictions on ballot collection that penalizes and that penalizes voters who cast ballots in the wrong precinct. So, um... They're going to hear a court case that penalizes people who cast ballots in the wrong precinct. Okay. Democrats believe the Arizona law places an equal burden on racial minorities. It also makes it easier to cheat when you don't have to show up at your own precinct and can have someone turn in your ballot for you. Well, yeah, it can make it easier to cheat. It's not clear why the Supreme Court would take up this case and refuses the other case brought to the court by the Trump campaign. Fox News reported eight years after carving the heart out of a landmark voting rights law, the Supreme Court is looking at putting new limits in on efforts to combat racial discrimination in voting. The justices are taking up a case about Arizona restrictions on ballot collection and another policy that penalizes voters who cast ballots in the wrong precinct. The high court's consideration comes as Republican officials in the state and around the country have proposed more than 150 measures following last year's elections to restrict voting access that civil rights groups say would disproportionately affect black and Hispanic voters. A broad Supreme Court ruling would make it harder to fight those efforts in court. Arguments are set for Tuesday via telephone because of the coronavirus pandemic. It would be taking away one of the big tools, in fact, the main tool we have left now, to protect voters against racial discrimination, said Myrna Perez, director of the Brennan Center for Justice, Voting Rights, and Election Programs. The justices will be reviewing an appeals court ruling against a 2016 Arizona law that limits who can return early ballots for another person and against a separate state policy for of discarding ballots if a voter goes to the wrong precinct. 
Honestly, I thought that's what the answer would be when they said that uh, there would be uh, repercussions. I didn't think they were fining them, but... The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the ballot collection law and the state policy discriminate against minority voters in violation of the Federal Voter Voting Rights Act and that the law also violates the Constitution. We'll leave it to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, I guess, even though Trump managed to get some conservative judges there, the notoriously liberal and Democrat and progressive and left and communist and socialist Ninth Circuit of Appeals Court will always have their day. Next up, we have a story. Miguel Cardona confirmed as Education Secretary. From Newsmax, Miguel Cardona was confirmed as President Joe Biden's Secretary of Education Monday. That's illegitimate President Joe Biden. Uh, having called for the return students to the classroom as a top priority despite threats of some teachers' unions to ignore court orders to go back to in-person instructions. Pause story. You guys probably heard about that one dude that was like, oh, um, kids need to stay home. Um, I'm a teacher and they, they shouldn't be at in-person classes because of coronavirus. And then his daughter, his daughter goes to private in-person school and they bust him on camera, taking her home. Classic liberal. The U.S. Senate voted 64 to 33 to confirm the 45-year-old Cardona, who has been Connecticut's education commissioner for the past year and a half. Cardona is expected to have a major influence on Biden of achieving his stated goal of reopening the majority of elementary schools in his first 100 days. The CDC on Friday released a 33-page color-coded guidance for reopening schools, requiring masks, distancing, and other protocols, but did not make vaccinations for teachers a prerequisite. During his Senate testimony, Cardona praised great examples through our country of schools that have been able to reopen safely. His confirmation comes as more and more parents' advocacy groups demand the reopening of schools while teachers' unions continue to resist. Cardona will have little authority to force schools to reopen. He likely will have the ability for devising protocols and using his position to achieve the goal. He also will likely have to face a growing number of mental health issues among students, which studies have shown have increased in the past year. And indeed, without the ability to socially develop, um, I think, as well as normally develop in, um, in at least some form of environmental uh, educational system, uh, some form of education, period, you know, like, I, you know, it's easy to understand that uh, the children these days, kids these days, like, I, I Lord knows I would have been, like, you know, happy as a fat little pig at home if I did not have to go to school every day and deal with that. And indeed, uh, that was the case for some odd years. Okay, uh, let's see what we have next here. We have a story on, you said it, Nipple Rings Cuomo. Oh, how does he get so, Cuomo, Cuomo, how doth he get so, look, we want to see your nipple rings, girl. Okay. Okay, so, you know, I just, I was thinking, like, 
when we first started talking about Cuomo here on the Sea Report, I mean, he was like, it was like, this was one of those, it deserves to happen. He was, he was on the cast of the Trump show for the last four years, you know, since him and his idiot brother. Uh, I mean, how can y'all not put those two together, right? Anyways, so nipple rings Cuomo here, uh, he was instrumental in killing a bunch of people in his home state of New York, the governor. Everyone knows the story by now. Like, this story's gone all over America. And as I was saying when we first started talking about it at the Sea Report, I was like, you know, I mean, it's going to happen. He's going to get his, you know, come up. And so let's just talk about it. Let's just see what happens to Cuomo over the next couple of uh, weeks. And, you know, I, I didn't think it would be a story that would be at the Sea Report almost every day since we've been on air. You know, like, it's been... It went from the AG wants to investigate the numbers that she retrieved or she discovered in, in investigating, like, the deaths because they weren't adding up. Like he said, 6,000 people died to this uh, in the nursing homes due to this covid when it turns out it was more like 15,000 people. So the uh, judges decided to move forward with it. And it snowballs from there into three now women coming forward to accuse Como, Como, sorry, that's the way, uh, that's the way Diamond and Silk say it. They say Como, uh, Governor Como. I love you. I love you guys, Diamond and Silk. Um, but no, the, the third woman has come forward to accuse Governor Cuomo of unwanted sexual advances. Jeez, Governor Cuomo. When it rains, it pours. But, you know, what I think these are going to start to turn into, because I don't know if you guys saw that meme that compared Governor Cuomo to Mo Schlack from... <laughs> from the Simpsons. Like, look at him. Look at him. Look at this man. Look at this man. Watch. Like, sorry, guys, if you're on the, uh, if you're on the, uh, uh, if you're on the app. Uh, oh, she can't see. Look, watch. Does he not look like Mo Schlack? Okay, so if you are on the podcast, I apologize. You cannot see. At least we're not, we're not, we're not highlighting his, uh, <laughs> now we are, we're highlighting his nipple rings. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. So Mo Schlack, I really think what this is going to turn into, I really think what this is going to turn into with all of these women coming forward, they're going to turn into all of Mo Schlack. I mean, Killer Cuomo's like. They're going to turn into his uh, senior prom crush heartbreak moments. Like, all of them. Like, one of them was like, he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that I was being, like, such such a way. Uh, and she's like, I was scared from then on. And he's probably just standing there with his hand in his head, like... <laughs> Cuomo, like, he was just too rough. Mo Schlack is a little rough around the edges, and uh, he scared the girls off. I feel like it's gonna turn into that. But you know what, Cuomo? Just like Rachel Levine Potato Head over there in Pennsylvania, who decided to save her mom but kill everyone else's, you know, relatives, and uh, Tom Wolf, governor, acted on her recommendations. 
Uh, Cuomo, um, this is just going to be a little bit of humiliation on top of the pain that is coming for your decision to mandate, accept an Emmy Award, and write a novel, write a, a docu-novel of suspense and heroism and, and, and courageous, bold, well-thought-out moves of sending COVID-positive patients and restricting nursing homes from accepting them back into their centers. Cuomo, I'm sorry, your day has come. And resignation, impeachment is not enough. And uh, we'll see where this goes. But in this article, a third woman has accused Governor Andrew Cuomo, Democrat of New York, of making unwanted sexual advances. According to a published report, Anna Rook, who met Cuomo at a wedding reception in September 2019, said... She was forced to remove his hand from her lower back and pulled away after the governor moved in to kiss her, the New York Times reported Monday. The latest accusation against Cuomo prompted Representative Kathleen Rice, Democrat of New York, to call on the governor to resign. Ruck's account came after two former aides accused Cuomo of sexual harassment in the workplace. Before those accusations became public, the governor was involved in a controversy about the state under reporting COVID-19 deaths in the nursing home. And that's what I'm saying. Like, this better not consume the story of the COVID-19 nursing home death scandal that uh, Killer Cuomo should be and is being investigated for currently. Um, Back to the article, a media darling during the early months of the coronavirus pandemic, Cuomo has seen his third term thrust into turmoil. Ruck told the New York Times that she was left feeling uneasy after Cuomo touched her back. I promptly removed his hand with my hand, which I would have thought was a clear enough indicator that I was not wanting him to touch me, she said. I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed when really he's the one who should have been embarrassed. She added, recalling the moment the governor placed his hand on her cheeks. Oh, (laughs) her cheeks, her lower back, her cheeks. Oh, goodness. Um, That particular encounter was... Mo, calm down, young man. Anyways, that particular encounter was captured in several photographs by a friend on Ruck's cell phone. It's the act of impunity that strikes me, Ruck said. I didn't have a choice in that matter. I didn't have a choice in this physical dominance over me at that moment. And that's what infuriates me. And even with what I could do, removing his hand from my lower back, even doing that was not clear enough. It was when my friend looked at me and said, Are you okay? With such genuine concern in her face that I realized how obviously inappropriate it was, Ruck added, not only to me, but to those around me as well. As Cuomo's spokesman contacted about Ruck's claims, referred to a statement the governor released Sunday night. When he said something he has said, he said, have been misinterpreted as unwanted flirtation. Okay, so uh, Governor Cuomo released a stating said he has since have misinterpreted it as unwanted flirtation. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. But uh, anyways, that's, uh, yeah, that was like an amalgamation of two different news stories. I apologize. I news Max being the one, and I think Fox and another being another one. Uh, well, Cuomo... Mo, you just don't know how to hit on women. 
that's what it sounds like. Uh, he puts his hands all over them, and then, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, you don't hit on anyone like that, unless, uh, there's prearranged, uh, prearranged agreements. All right, who's that on our screen now? It looks like that is the face of, um, former officer Derek Chauvin. Minneapolis prepares for unrest during Chauvin's trial from the Washington Examiner. The Minneapolis city government... Let's go in uh, this way. Everyone can remember the face of this man and get everyone else riled up. Here we are, IIA. Uh, the Minneapolis city government and local businesses are bracing for a new wave of violence as the officer accused of killing George Floyd faces a jury next week. From now until the end of former Minneapolis... End of former Minneapolis Officer Derek Chauvin's trial. Swaths of the city's downtown will be closed to traffic and strictly limited for pedestrians. Businesses have begun boarding up windows in hopes of limiting further damage following last summer's riots. You might want to consider adding physical barriers such as boarding or permanent security gates, Minneapolis Economic Pol Policy and Development Director Eric Hansen suggested to local business owners at a recent news conference. The police, uh, the police promise a more proactive effort to quell social unrest this time around, pledging more officers to assist in arresting lawbreakers. Last week, the city council approved upward of $1.5 million for new security measures in an effort to minimize damage to both public and private property during Chauvin's tribal, trial. Our hope is that the number of days we need these officers will be very short that it will be a trial where there is peaceful expression of First Amendment rights and not destruction or other types of illegal activities that would require these officers to be around for numerous days, City Coordinator Mark Ruff said in a City Council meeting last week. At the same time, the City will also employ social media influences to spread City-generated and approved messages towards local minority communities. The efforts hopes to increase access to information to communities that do not typically follow mainstream news sources or city communication channels um, and or do not consume information in English, the Minneapolis City Council said in a statement. It also, it's also an opportunity to create more two-way communication between the city and communities. Now I'm going to put a pause on the article right here because this is very interesting to me. Um, they are going to... Uh, employ social media influences and this is going to include influencers they're going to employ them i hear they're getting paid like two thousand dollars to do this uh, i guess if you have a blue check mark and uh you live in the area um so that these people can send out on their social media city generated and approved messages to local minority communities so this is iia this is an example, and correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone knows better, um, but this is an example of like how they're using interactive internet activity, and you don't know what they're going to be sending these people like at this time. I guess, you know, if you live in these areas or if you have access to any of the city-released or generated information that will be generated during this time, or if you're subscribed to any of these, I don't know who the influences are that they'll be using. I mean, you know, do you remember how they sent uh, Greta Thunberg from, uh, you know, I don't know, 
the Benelux countries or wherever she's from over there in Europe, uh, they were sending her um, scripts of what to say and who to send it to in regards to the farming cows. Well, let's see if there are any whistleblowers who receive these social media influencer talking points and generate city points, and we'll we'll turn that in and let us know what they're saying. Um, the because the, they could they could create an entire narrative this way, basically, and they're targeting these communities specifically in the area. Um, and I get it if it was like an emergency alert system where you know they want to give you up to date information, but that would happen anyways if something like a riot were to break out. I would assume. What kind of information will they be sending? This is an example of interactive. And, you know, this is actually blatant in your face because now they're saying that they can do it. So I guess uh, they're using this hammer and scorecard type technology. I mean, it's where you gather, gather data and then you, you know, you can analyze and weaponize it. You know, that's IIA. That's what this is basically. Anyways, okay, so getting back into the article. Some of the most dramatic changes to the city's landscape take place at the courthouse and city hall with fencing and barricades surrounding the two buildings. One local law enforcement source said the city should expect Super Bowl-like security in the city's Chauvin's trial. We want to make sure that it's understood in the community that what we are wanting, working to do is preserve safety for those involved in the trial to ensure that the trial can proceed Without any hindrance of disruption, Green told a local KSTP affiliate last week, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Free requested earlier this month that the governor mobilize the National Guard to maintain peace during the trial, which is expected to cost the state tens of millions of dollars. Local activists have criticized the decision, alleging that their presence will only exacerbate tensions and potentially cause more violence. So I guess we will see what happens in the trial of uh, Mr. Chauvin, a uh, former officer. Uh, let's see here. At the start of it, it's happening this week. We'll get a, we'll get a date uh, and a time on it. I feel like, uh, let's see here. Oh, it's next week. I apologize. So it is next week coming up. We'll get right to it, guys. Okay, so um, that story, now let's go ahead and let's hop to this story here. Because we, we are right about at the top of the hour. Uh, let's see here. That was about, uh, that was the president of Mexico. Uh, but we'll go, yeah, basically Biden met with him um, and they talked via, you know, a Zoom chat session or something of that likes. Uh, we may come back to that, but let's go ahead and get to this article. That's there on the screen pictured there right then and therefore is not this. That is, um, that is, a, a, sorry, excuse me, <clears throat> White House Representative Clyburn, who is a Democrat from South Carolina. Now, in the news uh, via Breitbart, we have an article, NSSF Charleston loophole, gun control could come next week. So this is some 2A gun information. The National Shooting Sports Foundation warns that gun control targeting the so-called Charleston loophole could be before Congress for a vote as early as next week. The NSSF told Breitbart News that the bill, the Enhanced Background Check of 2021, is sponsored by White House Representative Jim Clyburn, pictured on the screen. 
and could be on the floor as early as next week by passing House Judiciary altogether. The bill was previously introduced as the Enhanced Background Check Act of 2019. That bill was designed to revise background check requirements and applicable to proposed firearm transfers from a federal firearms licensee and a licensed gun dealer to an unlicensed person. The goal of this aspect of the bill was to revamp the review period for National Instant Criminal Background Check System, NICS, checks in the event that expanded review time is necessary. Currently, a three-day business extension can be made on NICS checks, but the Enhanced Background Check Act would extend to not fewer than 10 business days. So under that, uh, you would have to wait more than 10 business days in order to get your gun. The so-called Charleston loophole has been used as the impetus for the bill. The Democrats began using that phrase after Dylan Roof purchased the gun used in the June 17, 2015 Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church shooting. Roof's purchase was placed into the current three-day extended review, <coughs> after which the firearm was handed to him because no criminal record was found. Democrats called this the Charleston loophole, claiming the system is flawed and needs to be fixed. But on July 10th, 2015, Breitbart News reported the FBI's suggestion that Roof got his gun because of an FBI reviewer's mistake rather than a background system error. According to USA Today, Comey said Roof would not have passed the check if the background check team had seen Roof's felony drug charges. However, the team made a mistake. That mistake was looking at the records of the wrong police department and searching Roof's background. Ha! So these people are trying to say that Roof got this gun because of the Charleston loophole. But in fact, it was an error on the part of the FBI for looking at the wrong information. Huh. Is that convenient or what? But Clyburn is expected to push the gun control nonetheless. Of course, Clyburn looks like the kind of man that would push gun control. I would not trust Clyburn. Okay, uh, let's see here. Let's finish up this article. NSSF Senior Vice President and General Counsel Lawrence Keene commented, commented on the anticipated gun control push. If the bill is the same as what was introduced in the last Congress, we will be opposed to it now as we were then. This bill increases the burden on small business firearm retailer owners and flips the burden of proof on its head. This would make it incumbent upon the law-abiding citizens to prove his or her innocence of the government to exercise the Second Amendment right to purchase a firearm instead of the government being responsible for providing an individual is prohibited. For proving an individual is prohibited. This could potentially deny a law-abiding citizen their rights for up to a month while they are saddled with the burden of proving their innocence. That's un-American. Keene added, Rather than placing further burdens on retailers and law-abiding gun owners, Congress should focus on adequately resourcing NICS. NSSF is the only organization that has successfully advocated for NICS to have the necessary resources to reform its mission in a timely manner. So that's pretty interesting. Very, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. All right. We are almost 
Dunhair on the C Report. I hope you guys have enjoying it. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and give you guys one more story for the road. I had a couple of other things I was going to share with you, but we were basically done. There's been some flooding over in Turkey. Let's go ahead and get that on the screen. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play some footage while I'm reading this article to you all. There should not be any commercials, uh, but even still... Uh, there's no sound, so... Oh, there... <laughs> there comes a commercial. Okay. So, while we skip this commercial... Alright, let's get that back on the screen. There's no sound here anyways. Uh, it's just images of uh, some flooding that's going on in Turkey from the Associated Press. Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky firefighter Fred Eddie Stacy was turning his fire truck around in the dark while responding to storm damage when he noticed a tiny light coming from the flooded Red River. It was a cell phone... It was a cell phone a woman was waving from a car inundated with water that was rising by the minute. Stacy and other members of the Hazel Green Fire Department sprang into action Sunday night, pulling five people from the car where water was up to the dashboard. Among those rescued were a 17-month-old boy and a woman who appeared to be having a seizure. Stacy said in a telephone interview Monday, we don't do too much training on this water rescue, said Stacy. Instinct just kicks in. Heavy thunderstorms uh, pounded parts of Appalachia on Sunday and Monday, sending rivers out of their banks and leading to multiple water rescues, mudslides, road closures, power outages, officials said. Kentucky Governor Andy Brashear declared a state of emergency because of heavy rainfall across the state. So that's pretty interesting there. Um, and definitely our hearts go out to all those affected in Kentucky tonight with the flooding um, and our prayers as well. So hopefully um, everyone is safe there or safe as can be. So that's pretty bad. Some stuff that's going on over in Kentucky at this time. Um, okay, so that, uh, I believe that wraps it up for us here on the Sea Report for tonight. Uh, thank you all for tuning in with us. I appreciate it. Um, again, if you'd like some more information on the Sea Report, you can visit qnaholespodcast.com and really uh, just come by and see us. Uh, we'll be here or subscribe to uh, your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to QA Holes. Um, we, uh, we launch a platform off Spreaker. So if you want to download the episodes, go to Spreaker and download them there. That way, uh, if they should ever be gone, because we used to be on YouTube, now we're here on Twitch, but we used to be on YouTube. Uh, we used to be on Spotify as well, but, uh, those have been removed. You can catch the C report on Spotify through some magical, mythical, mystical machination, but you cannot catch the rest of Q&A Hole's programming so i would highly recommend that you get over to qnaholespodcast.com and subscribe to qna holes podcast so you can get every programmed episode tonight um we uh were not able to do the special report with magadon but he may be back he may be back i would not doubt that he will be um but uh he was out on some medical leave and we will also be back tomorrow as well uh for the qna holes podcast wednesday night show show. 
and then we'll see where it goes from there. But otherwise, uh, don't miss uh, the C-Report and Breaking News with Joe 1 of 2 every day, Monday through Friday. Um, and do join us again. Until then, have a great night. Stay safe and, uh, you know, say your prayers. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Y'all have a great evening, okay, everybody? <laughs> I'm just weird like that sometimes. This is Mr. C signing out for the C-Report. Have a good one, y'all. We will make America great again. You and a horse. From this day forward, it's going to be ugly. America first. America first. You and a horse. Thank you.